welcome to the MPI Potomac cast, where you get to hear from the voices of the MPI Potomac chapter. I am Anjali Sangvi, co-chair of the MPI Potomac Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Today, we are going to talk about the advantages of intersectional work and educational experiences in the events industry. To talk about this with us, National Alliance to End Homelessness, otherwise referred to from here on out as the Alliance. David curates experiences that lead to innovation for causes ranging from homelessness, affordable housing, criminal justice reform, and race and health equity issues. As a nonprofit leader and community activist, David serves on the board of Friendship Place, a homeless shelter provider in the greater Washington DC area. And as a newly admitted attorney, David merges his passions for nonprofit leadership, hospitality, events, and social justice with his purpose, the practice of law. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Anjali, for that great introduction and for having me. Uh... It's a it's an honor to join the podcast family. Um, I think what this podcast stands for is amazing for listening to its members and for shedding light on all of the good work that we all are doing. Right, um, the everything in life. I love the topic. Everything in life is intersectional, right? And we have to stop thinking of ourselves when we're in certain industries or certain fields that they don't touch one another and that they can't uh, work in tandem and hand to hand. So I'm, I'm happy to be here to talk about this topic. Yeah, I, I mean, I love it because, so for me, the idea really, really kind of manifested itself uh, after I had my kids and um, I'd stayed home a little bit to, you know, take care of them. And then I re-entered the workforce and the idea of bringing my whole self to work was really important to me. And that's, that's not even from an educational or work perspective, but like the, the authenticity of bringing our whole selves to work, I think is, is a really, really um, fascinating topic for me. I also joined the meetings industry from public health. So I also have that whole work intersectionality. And I think that I don't think there's ever a bad uh, bad thing to, to have kind of multiple facets of thinking. I think that uh, oftentimes you get into groupthink when everyone comes from the same space. So I love the meetings industry because everybody's coming from such a such a unique, interesting perspective. So, I totally agree. I'm, totally yeah, agree. I'm super excited to have <laughs> you on the show today. Um, so we start the podcast every way, uh, every podcast the same way. Uh, and we ask the same questions to begin with and the same questions to end with. Um, so let's get started. Um, we're gonna start with why did you join MPI and how long have you been an MPI member? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I should have looked. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I've joined MPI, I want to say in 2014, officially, um, when I started my role at the Alliance uh, as the director of meetings and events. Um, I, I actually heard about the organization from a past supervisor at a job where I was working in California, my home state in, in LA, in Santa Monica. Um, and when I took this role and I was moving back to DC, she was like, join this group, join this group, look into this group. Um, ideally, that was about the only good information that that lady ever gave to me. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, But no, it served as, as, as great advice for 
learning more about the industry, about the issues, about best practices. Um, the little did I know that the, that the MPI Potomac chapter would be as diverse, as open, um, as it as it is, especially now. Um, and I don't think that, you know, like like some organizations or some industries, it's not a bandwagon effect. You know, it's this organization has been on the cusp of all these pressing issues as it relates to equity and diversity and inclusion. Um, so I got involved, um, you know, doing a, a lot of, uh, for me to learn from other people, um, for me to meet other people. I didn't want to be, I'm the only event planner on staff. You know, I'm the only person that is the events professional on staff, even though everyone has a role in our events um, because it's a, a staff-wide sort of uh, objective for everyone to be involved from content creation to everything that we do. But I bring the industry knowledge, you know, I being a, bring the best practices when it relates to working with our venues and our vendors. Um, and that is invaluable experience to get from such a great organization like MPI and especially the Potomac chapter. I would absolutely agree <laughs> with that uh, assessment. I've only been a member for about three years. So I, I think that um, it's really interesting because when I was debating which organization to join, it was really, it was also the people. So I, yeah. you know, I joined because I was in touch with Caitlin Felix and I, you know, I was in touch. I with remember Caitlin. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and Anthony and, you know, and Shelly and all of those people. And so like, they really kind of, embraced me and brought me on and have been really amazing mentors and um i i've been very very also impressed with how um how forward thinking uh this chapter particularly is um absolutely. yeah so what made you want to get involved as a as a volunteer absolutely well for me um uh, as we'll talk about in in a little bit education is a huge part of my background um I was one of those people. I grew up in, you know, South Central Compton, California. Um, I saw education as the way to a better life. Not that my life was so bad because it absolutely wasn't. I come from hardworking parents, hardworking grandparents on both sides. My sister and I both started working like so many people, you know, when they come up at 14 and 15, you know, and that was out of desire. I wanted a cell phone. My mom said, if you get a cell phone, you have to pay the bill. So, yeah. you know, that value of, of work and, and being responsible was, you know, ingrained in us from a very young age. Um, however, I knew that to achieve what I wanted to achieve, to have the freedom, the liberty, um, to enjoy, I hate to say it, especially in these times, the American dream, <laughs> sort of say, um, I knew that education was my way uh, of achieving that. Um, and, and it has worked out so far, uh, I will say. It's not the end all be all, but it worked out. So 
for me, I got, I initially got involved. Um, I, I remember going to actually a, a, a fair when we, with the days when we did in-person events, but um, I forget what it's called, but when the different committees come and, and you yeah. can walk around and talk to people and you can sign up there. Um, I went to an yeah. event um, and I gravitated to the professional development um, committee, you know, and I knew once I got this role, I knew that I wanted to become a CMP. I know I wanted to achieve that as well, overachiever. Um, and I think a lot of us are. So I got involved. My first volunteer experience was facilitating after passing the CMP exam in 2017, um, facilitating uh, a few courses, risk management, um, whatever the first is, uh, <laughs> event design, uh, planning, the, the first uh, domain, I forget what it's, domain A. Right. Um, and I just did that one a few months ago, so I'm, I'm ashamed that I forgot about it. But that was my first entrance to being a volunteer. And my passion for that comes wanting to be a teacher, wanting to work with, I, I will say, and generally, you know, people who are entering um, the industry, um, new, you know, new entrants are early pe people that are in their careers, uh, just starting their careers, or even people who, you know, may not necessarily have the title as an events professional, but their job requires them to do events related tasks. So, you know, that was a way for me to you know, give, facilitate a course in a very interesting way. I can be a little bubbly at times or I can be, uh, you know, a little animated. So I think that that's a strength of mine. Um, and for me to help someone else, the best way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. And for me, facilitating those courses, I haven't done it every boot camp or every, um, time that it's been offered, but that was a way for me to ensure that I was staying on top of the knowledge and that I was clear on what terms meant and, and, and what was being, uh, you know, tested and what an, uh, an events professional should know in their capacity in this, in this field. So that's really where my volunteer uh, experience comes from, and that's something that I'm still passionate about today. Um, however, I've sort of drifted also into, you know, the diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, committee. Um, I, I would like to say that I am one of the people that spoke up uh, earlier this year about the need to, uh, um, I think it was just diversity and equity, um, and I spoke and inclusion up. and you you insisted that it had to be equitable. Yes, yep. yes, it had to be equi equitable. You know, it's not yep. enough to just include people, but we have to create equitable opportunities for people. We know that we live in a society that's built on inequities, you know, and systematic racism. So, you know, let's not act like it doesn't exist, but let's be the good people that we are and create opportunities for all types of people to join us at the table. So I'm excited about the volunteer work that we all do. Um, and I'll always be involved in DE&I as well as, you know, the professional development and facilitating our CMP courses because that's really where my, my passion lies for the industry is teaching other people, even employees that I hire. Um, I, it's about me 
helping them achieve what they want to achieve in this industry. It's so vast. So yeah, that's what made me want to get involved. I mean, that, that's fascinating to me also, because I, I come from a very teaching background too. Mm-hmm. My parents are both educators. Um, my dad was a university professor. In addition to being a doctor, my mom was a chemistry teacher for 22 years. You know, like, I think that that, that whole idea that, that the, the best way to learn is to teach is something that I've been practicing since I was really young. And I feel like you have too. And, and I also feel like the other thing that you said that really struck out to me was that, um, is this idea that you want to be involved in DNI? I suspect that you are somebody who has been involved in DNI before it was called DNI, right? So I feel like, um, and as a lot of us are, right? Like if we sit in a certain space and we sit in a certain position, we, um, you know, and especially if you sit in a position of influence within your organization, I think that um, if you have a voice and you have used it wisely, then you have moved things, you know, along. Um, But I think that's a really important place to start, um, you know, having these conversations. So we were really, really happy that you brought the equity issue up because that was something we had discussed and we had decided, no, we'll wait for the whole committee to, to come together. And I was so happy that you jumped right in there and was like, no, this is, I want to address this off the bat. Right, right, right. You know, because... You know, <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. I was... it's, it's not something... I, you know, it, it was one of those things where we can't talk about this. And I, I know that I, I believe even Anthony spoke about this on his podcast. We can't talk about, we can't do anything in this day and age without talking about and, and feeling the things that are going on around us, right? And I, I want to talk about something really quickly that you brought up. And it was like, yeah, I absolutely have, have, have been in this space because I was born in this space, you know, and my responsibility as someone who is now um, entering corporate America, entering nonprofit management, um, becoming a leader, it is my responsibility to bring awareness and to bring uh, action to the table, right? You know, it's, I wrote an article for the, uh, the Potomac Engage magazine where I talked about, you know, no matter what position you are, you may not be the CEO, you may not be the top person, you may not be the, the person who's on speaking and billing for, you know, NPR or, or PCMA or whatever the case may be. However, you are a leader in what you do. Somebody's listening to you. And we have to take the opportunity to, to say how we feel and to make our voices heard. It's no surprise that other people make their voices heard. So let's make this a fair and equitable conversation and let's get to the point to where we have fair and equitable representation in everything that we do. And I think that makes us all better. You know, I honestly yes. do. I think it makes us better, I, you know, oh, yeah. and, but I don't want to go on that. I can preach about that, but you know, well, I, I mean, so better. many studies. Yeah. So many studies have shown, even in like, for example, in the corporate world, right. The more uh, diverse 
your boardroom is, the more diverse your workforce is, the more profits you make. So even from a purely capitalist standpoint, which I am not, I'm not a pure (laughs) capitalist, but you know, even from that standpoint, if like, if it's going to make, make us all better, then why not do it? It's it's like my whole argument. So I came from the reproductive health, women's health development, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And my argument there was always like, why not include women? Everywhere where we have included women, okay, has gotten better. Life has gotten better for everybody. Bingo. (laughs) Bingo. I'm not even going to speak on that, but bingo. Period.com. <laughs> right? End of discussion. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I remember having this conversation with, um, so I used to produce these uh, trips for journalists, right? And they said, they were asking uh, one of our guests like that I had brought on to, to talk about this. Um, and um, they asked, they were like, what is the silver bullet, right? Like, what is the silver bullet to like fixing you know, healthcare in India, for example, or Kenya or wherever, right? We were, we happened to be in India at the time. And even before our guest spoke up, which I shouldn't have jumped in, but it just like threw up. I was like, educate women, period. <laughs> That's right? It. Like just That's it. educate women. That's it. It's not, it's it. not rocket science. No, it's not. It's, it's not. It's and not. here it's the same thing. It's not rocket science. Make things equitable. Make things accessible. Make things, you know, make it so that everyone has the same chances. Because it's very clear that we are not in that place where everything is accessible and equitable to people. Absolutely. You know? so, and, yeah. and and I'll say this too. You know, I come from, I always tell people, I went to uh, middle school and for some people that's junior high, middle school um, and high school in Long Beach, California and very diverse city. At one time it was America's most diverse city, you know, white to Hispanic, Latino, black, um, South Asian people, um, you know, Vietnamese people, Cambodian people. I mean, very, very diverse. And I left LA and Long Beach and I went to two HBCUs. So, and what people fail to realize about HBCUs is that although it is an historically black or minority serving institution, black people are not a monolith, just like white people are not, just like Hispanic and Latino people are not. We are not a monolith. There is diversity of experience. There is diversity of where people and their families are from. There is diversity of some people being multi-generational college students and some people being first-time college students. So, you know, it's in everything that I think that I've taken out of my experience is that I value diversity in whatever shape or form that it has come in. And I think that that's what makes me, a leader, you know, me, the accolades that you talked about in the bio doesn't make me a leader. You know, the uh, experience that I have, you know, being a meeting partner doesn't make me a leader. It's my ability to work with other people and to have compassion. That to me is what makes a real leader in this field. You know, so I, I would advise everyone to look at who they consider the leaders in this field and to really question you know what what are they doing for other people what are they doing for this industry um it's to me it's not about self-worth and and i've moved 
to talk about sort of the volunteer and why I've gotten involved, you know, I moved really slowly. You know, you have some people who have aspirations to be the leader and to be known and to be all of these things. I, at one time, I did that. In high school, I was the student body president. You know, in college, I was the person on staff who did the events and I was the known person. But that's not what um, keeps me going. Actually getting in there, doing the work, getting dirty is what makes me happy. So I think that ultimately our industry, the main word is hospitality. That's the being hospitable, looking after one another is the industry that we're in. Um, and I'm a, I'm a person that believes in serving others in any capacity as a lawyer serving others it is not about me it's about the client so we we have to remember that and, and why we do the work and, and and continue to bring the best out of each other in that sense and i think that's the best way when we value each other when we bring everybody to the table and when we create the change that we want to see the title of the article throwing that in there yeah. <laughs> there you go go check make sure you all check out david's article if you haven't already <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's move from that topic. I think it flows really nicely into the, this idea that, okay, you hold a law degree. So mm -hmm. I'm really curious how your foundation in law has helped you navigate this industry. Because, and then talk a little bit about your journey into law, because you weren't in events and then in law, and then you went to law school. And so talk, I, I would really like to hear a little bit more about your journey. Absolutely, thank you for this. So I will first tell people, I'm gonna say this to anyone watching this, don't ask a person if they're a lawyer or if they're a doctor or whatever they are, well, why are you in this industry like that? <laughs> I got, I get that so much from people and, and I try myself, my very best to be gracious, but sometimes I want to say seriously, because I am like, <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason. No, but I will say this. I talked about it a little, little bit. Um, you know, our, my high school was 5,000 students. And at one time we received performances from Chingy. He was a hip hop artist. Um, back in the day, but in the early 2000s, he had about a, a mental breakdown. That's what that's what he's more known for. But we would put on huge concerts, huge plays. You know, we had a band. Like I, I went to a very great um, high school, and it was first there where I learned the business. You know, we have to come up with budgets in high school, so we have to go reach out to the fire department when we want to do a pyrotechnic or have fireworks at our homecoming games. That was the level of professionalism that I was introduced to. And then going to Grambling State, same thing. We have to develop the business case for what we were doing, whether it was a Greek show, whether it was a um, homecoming parade, I did all of that, whether it was the talent show, the comedy show, whatever we were doing. So it was a council and we ran it like a business. So post undergrad, I worked um, in, with a few organizations back at home in Los Angeles where we did PBS award shows. I've worked BET, um, uh, Soul Train Awards a couple of different times with a few different um, professionals uh, in the field, um, two of which actually made the Biz Bass 500. I'm going to shout them out. Uh, Mina and Yanni 
uh, Wright from uh, Wright Productions. Um, and uh, uh, now I'm, I'm missing his name, but whatever. I'm going to shout out Mina and Yanni um, because they were really great uh, mentors and are great mentors to me. Um, William, William, William out of LA as well. Uh, William plans events for uh, some of Hollywood's greatest celebrities. Um, nonetheless, I really took myself out of my comfort zone and I worked with people sometimes for free, sometimes for nothing to really learn how they did their events. Fast forward to, I'm just gonna say Barack Obama. <laughs> so I left the industry for a small amount of time where I went to a work for a homeless family shelter in Los Angeles, where I was a job developer and a case manager. I did that because I was able to always get good jobs, good internships, good things. So they needed a job developer and there was some case management involved. And being from LA, homelessness is so rampant that I've always grew up with knowing that there were homeless people and people that were less fortunate. Um, I did that for about a year, Barack Obama won president in 2008, and I was motivated more so to get a graduate degree. And I thought about, okay, do I want an MBA or do I want a law degree? Well, I thought the law degree would give me more experience to really do a lot of different things, be like Johnny Conquering or be like Barack Obama, you know, whatever the case may be. I soon learned when I got to law school that my um, passion for events didn't subside. I started working with a Dominic events here in DC while I was in law school. I planned um, two, I planned a wedding for a law school classmate in 2014 when I moved back. But in law school, I gravitated towards contracting, legal drafting. Our contracts class was one of my highest grades. Legal drafting was a good grade. Um, and then entrepreneurship and the law. And in that class, we created um, articles of incorporation. We created a business plan for a business that we selected. And of course, the business I selected was events, <laughs> my event company. So I really took that experience to, to learn those three years to really learn how I could mesh the two. Fast forward to me moving to California and uh, taking the bar twice unsuccessfully. unsuccessfully. Um, I'm not the only one. I'm just going to count out. Michelle Obama didn't pass the Illinois bar the first time. I was time. just going to say, it's one of the pass. hardest bar exams <laughs> in the country. <laughs> yeah, no. So, you know, but I will say too, because this is where my compassion comes in. It's about experience. I went through Again, you go to law school, everybody goes to law school smart, you know, not all lawyers are smart, but everyone who goes to law school is pretty smart, you know, may not have all the common sense in the world, but they're pretty book smarts. You navigated life enough to make it into law school. That bar exam is a whole nother beast. Um, I don't know why I didn't pass. I stopped thinking about it, especially at this point, because it's so much old news, but I went through a deep depression. I went through financial hardships um, and that it took me two years for the opportunity at the National Alliance to end homelessness to come to me through a friend of a friend. Um, I will say it was uh, God's plan for me because I didn't do a Skype interview back then Skype was in. 
I had one phone interview and they were like, you, you're hired, when can you move back to DC? You know, so I came and two weeks into my job, we found out that we were having Cory Booker, Michelle Obama and uh, Julian Castro as keynote speakers for our event. Um, so the pure excitement about being so low and then the high of, of achieving such a cool dream because I've always wanted to put on really cool events with really important people. And I've always cared about the causes that I cared about. Um, helping people who are homeless, helping people who are involved in the criminal justice system. In law school, I worked at the public defender's office. I worked at a labor union, UFCW as a law clerk. So my experience has been in public interest, in workers' rights, in um, social justice issues. Um, and then I was able to come to the job and I negotiated the contracts. I didn't have to look up what a force majeure clause was. I didn't have to, you know, make, I didn't have to grasp the thought of you can make a contract however you want to make a contract, especially now to all of the planners listening, you know, it's, it's gonna be a buyer's market again. So let's ask for everything that we want. You have to know the art of negotiating. And that was something that I learned in law school. You don't have to go to law school to do that, but I, I learned it there. I learned how to be a good negotiator. It's not always about your one side. It's about listening to the other side and seeing where you guys can compare something that people in Congress need to do, but I digress. Nonetheless, you know, for me, being able to have those discussions with salespeople or when we did talk to counsel at our organization about canceling an event, especially now during COVID, you know, what does that look like? When do you actually send a letter? What's the timing behind certain things? We all know those contracts has dates, they have rates, they have attrition clauses, they have all of these things in here that cost money. The contract is a money tool. It's not, it, in as much as it is a relationship tool. When this happens, that happens. So being able to look at that contract, and I, I know for some people, they're not comfortable with that. And sometimes procurement teams do that. Um, but for me, I came in first day, was like, pull, pull the contracts out. Let me see everything because that tells me what I need to do and how I need to do it. And then I also know that if I don't do something, there's a possibility that litigation can be afoot or that we may find ourselves in a challenge with the hotel. So I think that that all comes into play. My experience and my journey is important in the person that I am today. I went to a, a training, Anjali, at American University. They, they did a hospitality and law contracts course. And, and I can just tell you that I was one of the main planners in there, of course, talking <laughs> about you know, certain issues and certain things when it comes to drafting contracts. But even if people are out there, I know that a lot of people are not working because of COVID. So the reality of this is a lot of people are launching their own businesses. I see some of our, our Marriott friends in this in, in the Potomac in the DC area launching a boards, 
Uh, they're doing charcuterie boards business. We're doing, um, uh, I know one other person is doing a concierge service. So the reality of the law and how it interacts primarily with this industry comes in many shapes and forms. The contracts that we sign with venues, the contracts that we sign with talent. How many of us sign contracts with talent? How many of us sign contracts with um, uh, staff or our labor, um, people that can provide assistance to us at our events? What are the labor issues that you should know about contracting in certain cities, Chicago? What are the union issues? How much are you gonna pay? How do you negotiate that? Can you negotiate that? So, you know, in the sense of COVID, what's a force majeure clause versus a frustration of purpose clause? Those are two different clauses, you know? So I think that when I look at my journey and my experience and to go back to the very first thing that I said as it relates to this question, it's not about why, it's about what are why you not? doing? with it and why not you know we can you can be the the best organized planner in the world and what covid has taught all of us is that we've had to learn how to shift our events from in person to online so are you adaptable can you learn what type of knowledge do you bring to the table and how can that be useful in the organization as a whole. You know, we had issues on our, our, our live event. There's copyright issues if you're using songs, if you're using different things. And, and a lot of us know this. If you have, if you want to play um, uh, music at your events, you need licensing agreements. You know, you need to go to ASCAP, BMI. I forget what the other one is called at the top of my head right now, but you need to know that type of stuff. So a lawyer, <laughs> a lawyer, um, who happens to be an events professional is someone that is valuable to this field. And not only for my organization, but for people like you, you know, people like the industry. You know, how many of times that are we just listening to lawyers talk, talk about, you know, our events are what how do get out, how do we get out of contracts? What about the perspective of the organization? What about the perspective of the planner? So for me, you know, I see myself in a few years possibly being one of the, the attorneys that are, is the go-to. And I have work to do in that area in order to become that, but I will be able to speak from two avenues because of my experiences, you know? Lawyers are good at two things, researching the law, knowing the law, and, you can be taught that. Now, if you don't have a passion about it, like everything else, if you don't have a passion about what you're doing, you're probably not going to do it well, you know? So for me, it was a way that, you know, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't take the easy route. I don't take the route that's planned out. I take the David Dirks route. Like <laughs> I said, first person in my family to go to college, Went to college and I decided, you know, oh, I'm going to put events on after going to get a degree in marketing. It makes sense to me. But I took that one thing, event marketing. I love to do it. You know, what I don't like are these online events. I hate them because I'm bored, you know, but, 
you know, I love to be in person. So I can't wait when we can go back to being doing our in-person events. But I I took that experience and I went to law school and I still did events while in law school. And I knew and I saw how it all applies together. You know, when you talk about hospitality and the law, there's a whole nother business of financing, management agreements between hotels and owners of 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 um of, of, of hotel uh, brands like Marriott and owners like the, the groups that own them. Um, what does those uh, 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 agreements or arrangements look like? What are some of the issues when it comes to financing a property and all of those different issues? So it's a vast world out there. And I would tell anyone, don't think because you are going down one path that you can't we all have played with Etch-a-Sketch that you can't play around with it and you can't do a circle and a U-turn and go around. This is your life. You do what you want with it and you make it work for you. And by gosh, that's what I'm doing for myself. So that's my journey. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating. To me, I don't understand actually how someone can even ask you how law, like why you're a lawyer in this industry, because I don't know a single person who hasn't known or known of or have been a victim of or been part of a badly written contract. I mean, period, right? Like the a badly written contract is the basis of so much woe in our industry Absolutely. that we all should be, should be. I mean, like one of the things that I actually am studying for the CMP exam now, um, like that strikes me constantly is that there's not an entire domain on contracts, just contracts, right? Like purely like not just the terms or whatever, but actual examples of force majeure and this and that, and like actual, you know, taught, written and taught by lawyers because that is who's executing them. So why, why would you not teach it that way? You know, like, um, Absolutely. and, and we don't have the we... CMP exam. I just feel like it's a missing link in absolutely and i think that we don't have we don't have enough examples there are some great attorneys that we all know um i, I know one uh i can't think of her name right now but there there are a few that we all know and that we see at all of these events but you're absolutely right i think that there's a space for bringing more of that knowledge in now it may be uh uh uh, uh, a strategic tool not to do it so that, you know, people don't think that they're attorneys, but it's not about being an attorney or our unauthorized practice of law. It's about teaching people how to make better business decisions, you know, and, you know, by gosh, everything affects all of us in the law. You know, Absolutely. we, it, everything's a contract. We have a contract with the government to pay our taxes. We have, you know, a contract with the city to pay our uh, our lights, our taxes, and all that other good stuff. You know, it, it's it's a contract. So I think we we need to uh, definitely think about um, bringing more of that knowledge into the field. And that actually, you know, it's funny that you say that because. I, I'm volunteering with the Pro Bono Resource Center of Maryland to do one of two things. Um, uh, we all know that there are gonna be more eviction cases because of COVID. Um, and we are also going to see 
Um, I'm also volunteering to work with nonprofits. So there's a nonprofit pro bono um, center. And that's everything from, you know, keeping your 501c3 status, um, you know, intact, making sure you don't do anything that could put your stat, your IRS status uh, in, 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 um, in, in jeopardy. Um, so, you know, we, there's so many ways for us and we, we touch so many things. Again, I work for an organization that works on ending homelessness and we plan the best events on ending homelessness and what they're are about, they're about educating people who are on the ground day in and day out ending homelessness for people in this country. And we do end homelessness for people in this country, but it is hard. There's an affordability, how there's an affordable housing crisis in this country. There is a, 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 a stock or, or we don't have enough affordable housing. It costs too much. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I think that you have to bring your experiences to, we talked about it. You have to bring your authentic self to whatever role that you're in. So for me, my authentic self is bringing all of this to, to, to the fold. Now, I will say this. You can't be great at everything. You can't be the best at everything. We're human, you know, we're not God. We're not Superman or Wonder Woman. So, you know, the reality of it is, you know, yeah, you have to decide, you have to figure out what your lane is going to be, but don't belittle your gifts and the skills that you attain in order to fit someone else's mold for you. You know, and that's the mantra that I live by. I people tell me, oh, you can't do that. Okay, I'll show you. That was <laughs> what I did. You know, I have friends ask me and they, I love my friends and they are supportive of me. So I decided this time last year, well, I decided in early 2019 that I was going to take the bar again after a hiatus of six years. Um, so you the did bar it in the get, harder way. <laughs> the, the, the bar is two times a year, February and July. Our conferences for the Alliance are two times a year, February and July. So for the last six years at the organization, I've had to, I can't do it. It's too much work. I don't want to, I don't want to take the test again and fail. Like that would be the worst. Nonetheless, I tell myself, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? So I decided 2019, I set up my home office. I got approval from work. And again, to change my working schedule to not go in as many days. It was hard. It was, it was, it was grueling. I, I was tired, but literally we had a conference in Oakland, February 18th through the 21st. The bar exam was that Tuesday and Wednesday after the conference. So I flew back to Baltimore, checked into the hotel there and took the bar exam while I was sick. Don't believe it was COVID, but literally COVID was on the cusp of happening. I don't know if you remember, but there were ships coming into Oakland when we were there, where they wouldn't let the, they wouldn't let the, the customers off the, the boat. And you know, I decided, I thought about it because they were giving people an out and everything was going wrong at the hotel. 
It was the hotel's fault. Everything was going wrong at the hotel. However, the staff and my friends, my coworkers were like, we support you in whatever you do, but we don't think you should not take it. And I'm glad I took it because I passed it. And also everything just hit the fan when it relates to COVID. You know, people, it, it was a lot. It was a lot to deal with. So, and still is a lot. So you can do anything that you set your mind to do. And this journey is yours, you know, and that, and that's, that's something that I, I think is, is the most important thing. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. And my, my motto in life is always, well, ask and do what's the worst thing that'll happen. You know, if you are told no, or if you fail, you're no worse off than you were when you started. So, you know, if it's not going to make things worse for you, then go ahead and try it and do it. You know, you're like failure. I think, I think what a lot of people don't understand is failure is a part of success. Right? Absolutely. So I don't, I don't think there are too many people who go through life and have never failed. <laughs> and if you have, that's very sad, actually. <laughs> that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. You know, that means you, yeah. that means you haven't stepped out enough yeah. on exactly. the limb. Yep. To, you, to, you haven't to experience lived. the failure. Absolutely. You haven't yeah, lived. And I will say that. this as well. I will say this as well. You know, we don't ask Chris Cuomo, who was an attorney, why he's now on the one of the best CNN and news reporters. Right. You know, although I did it backwards, and I do and and will practice and litigate, my 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 journey is different than a lot of other people. I decided because I was forced. <laughs> I didn't pass the bar in a sense, you know. But I decided, and and like I said, I hit a, a financial. Um, struggle that I couldn't take it for a while. I had to get back on my feet because I wasn't working. They tell you not to work while you're preparing for the bar. I have bills, you know, I have things that I have to do. So, you know, the reality is, is that the timing works out when it works out. I say it's in God's timing. Things work out when they're supposed to work out. And we have to remember that people come with so many gifts and so many experiences, and that just makes them more of the person that you want to see and work more with, you know, so exactly. But doesn't that bring it all back around to the equity issues, right? Like when people say you shouldn't be working when you are studying or doing X, Y, Z, when people say you need to do unpaid internships, when people say all these things, where are they sitting when they say it? right? What, what position of privilege and power and like, you know, like safety nets, what, what are, those are the people that, you know, and here's the thing that we can all advocate for things like that in our own organizations. If you're saying that someone needs to be an unpaid intern in order to enter an industry, right? For example, any industry, like wherever we work, right? What are you saying? You're saying that only people who have X amount of money, X amount of family support, X amount of whatever it is to take those positions. You are Absolutely. immediately excluding a whole number of very qualified people. Absolutely. So what does that say about you, right? Like same thing with, with not working while you're taking the bar. I mean, great. You got to pay me during that time, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's a legitimate concern, right? And 
you know, for a lot of people, it works out for them, you know, and I had hoped that it worked out for me. I saved a little bit of money to keep me afloat between graduation and pretty much, you know, the end of the summer. You know, I, I, I interviewed for fellowships and for jobs, didn't necessarily get them. You know, sometimes the economy, I graduated in 2007 from undergrad and 2012 from law school. The economy wasn't necessarily the best, neither times. It's, and God knows what people are facing now. So things happen and I think that again, we sometimes we we struggle to understand how our expectations and our journeys differ from others and how that like you says create inequities in our workplaces in our circles um you know and we need to really think about the goal, the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do. Are you trying to exclude or are you trying to include people? Um, and, and that's something that we need to do. I mean, I'll say this too about the California bar. They just, thank God to COVID, they just leveled the, the score you need. They just lowered it to pass the bar, you know? And maybe that will help out someone like me or all the other people who take it multiple times. Um, but the reality of it is, you know, that, like you said, if you don't live, if you don't struggle, if you don't fail, you know, I don't take failure as the, the end all be all. It's about me, dust yourself off and get back up again, try again. If it takes you four years, five years, one year, a month, whatever it takes, <coughs> excuse me, but absolutely. So that's my foundation and that's my journey. <laughs> I mean, it's a fascinating journey for sure. Um, so you've kind of covered this topic a little bit. So maybe you can address the second part of this question, which is um, what would you say to folks from other industries who are considering a jump to the meetings industry? And what are the, some of the more obvious or non-obvious leaps that people can make? So I'll first say this, and I think more people would appreciate me saying this in our industry. Quit thinking of yourself as a party planner. You know, this is not, oh, you put on parties, you put on this, like this is, this is a serious billion dollar industry that we all know is getting hurt right now. Um, people take their jobs really seriously, just like anything else. A good planner can be the difference between great um, bottom line and great profits <laughs> to a disastrous event and almost being sued because you can't pay people. So, you know, know that this industry is a serious one and know that if you have certain qualities, you like people, not all the time, nobody says you have to be chipper, but if you like people, you like planning things, you like doing things, you know, again, you may be the go-to person in the office of nurses that's doing this. Guess what? Nurses have associations and organizations for their education, for, for their union activities and for their workers' rights. There is an association, this is one thing about living and working in DC, there is an association for everything. And what those associations do is that they educate, they inspire, they plan, and they inform, they solicit um, advocacy, 
for industries and for professions. Um, they work on legislation. So there is so much intersectional work going on. And as it relates to this industry, don't diminish it to just thinking that it's a simple way to, to throw parties or to throw events. You know, for me, it means so much. So if you're interested in it, make the leap, <laughs> try it out. If you can volunteer, you know, to work, go to conferences and talk to the people at registration and say, who's the planner? I would like to speak to them. You know, I would like to know what I can do to help. We have all, we all know that when, if we're working for pharmaceutical companies, if we're working for nursing associations, we get volunteers because not everybody can afford to pay to attend the event. That's a way for inclusion. Don't make it seem like they can't participate and take up all their time, but that's the way that we do it. So that's what I would say. Get involved, figure out what associations you want to work with. That's that's a great way, I believe, for people who are in different industries, because that's how the industries connect through association and industry related groups. They're putting on events, they are, they have membership services in order, and, and that connects to business and, and, and conference travel and, and things that I'm not even gonna explain because it's industry terms that I don't wanna get bogged down with just in case people who are not in the industry are looking at this or do look at this. But that's what I would say that you can do it. And the obvious, the obvious is not always the best route to take. So the question is, you know, what is the most obvious or non-obvious leaps one can make? I would say, take the natural leap for you. You know, take the leap where it feels good to you. Take the leap where, for instance, if you are going to an event, or if you are, it, it depends if, if you want to work in the hotel business or, or you're working for a restaurant, but you wanna go into the hotel business. There are operations staff, there are salespeople. It will come back eventually. So if you're looking for a change now, it may not be the good time, but hopefully it'll come back. But there are ways and there are transferable skills, not to get just the professional development person in me, but there are transferable skills in, in everything that we do. So, you know, do what's natural to you. Do what makes sense and go for it. Call up a person, email myself, email Anjali, you know, figure out how you can get involved. Um, if you're a teacher, the same thing, you know, there are CMPs, there's CSP, I believe there's, there's so many, um, and, and there's so many organizations that work on um, CEUs or continuing education. Lawyers have to do it, you know, or it's recommended for them to do it. You know, the American Bar Association has CLEs. We have to take these classes. So if you're a teacher and you want to make that transition into the industry, a good way to do that 
is by working in a professional development capacity with organizations, you know, um, and, and you have that education and that adult learning experience. So there, there's just what's, what's natural to me. Again, what was natural to me, even in this role, was working in social justice issues. And that's how I entered this industry, even though in school, I was in the industry. I put on events and funny events. Again, it was in an educational environment. We were educating and I was being educated as a young mind and becoming a business person. But no, that is all business all the time. And just because you're working on a social justice issue, just because you're working on a health related issue, whatever the case may be, it's still a business and you have to take business serious. Absolutely. Well, you've kind of, again, covered the, the <laughs> like, how, how do we get people interested in volunteering? But um, so the last question is, if you could give one tip for how someone can get the most out of their MPI uh, membership, what would it be? Uh, same thing. Um, what comes natural to you? I think that, you know, sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, you know, to be involved in so many different things. If you're a leader and, and you wanna be involved, you, you volunteer in the capacity of facilitating courses for the CMP bootcamp. Or if you're really good at social media and marketing and you know, video, videography or all of that kind of stuff, the chapter can use you. So there are committees for everything that keeps this business, the chapter, going. You know, if you like talking to people and you like recruiting people, there's a membership committee. So again, I would say do what's natural for you. If you don't like people, but you're great behind the computer and you can do social media work, contact the marketing team. You know, so that's what I would say. Do what's natural to you first, and then you'll learn how to step out of your comfort zone and do more. That's what I did. Um, and that's what I recommend people to do because it it lends itself to not being too onerous or, or too much at the beginning because it can be a lot. I've done an article. I'm interview, being interviewed for this podcast. I'm working on the what used to be the E2, but it's being rebranded. You know, there's so much going on. And I'm like, oh God, what did I do? But the reality of it is, is um, you know, I think it, it's my time now to, to become more active and to um, participate in the industry that I care so much about. And especially knowing now, I think for me, that there are some people in our organization that just can't because they're facing hard times because of COVID. So fortunately, I'm not in that position. Our organization is doing very well. We get a lot of individual donations and large ones, and we are still working very hard to end homelessness. So I'm grateful for my job and for my role, and I'm grateful to step in when other people may not be able to because of the current state of where everybody is in the world, you know, because of COVID. So, you know, it's a hard time for the industry. So I think for me, I wanted to, a part of serving and a part of being hospitable is that I wanted to serve in this capacity to, to shed light, to, to make people feel good about what they're doing. And shout out to everyone who 
that is not working right now because of COVID or starting a new business because of COVID. Um, years of industry experience just, you know, taken from them because of this pandemic. Um, and I'll just stop it there and say, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, in the words of the great late Tupac, keep your head up. <laughs> And 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 we'll be back. We'll we'll definitely be back. So um, it'll look different, but we'll be back. Well, I don't think meetings are going anywhere. Like in-person meetings, when they come back, it people will be so desperate. To, I think be together. And like you said, it may look different, but I don't think our industry is going anywhere long term. Absolutely not. Yep. And as I think you've said several times during this interview, is that we're the we're the kind of people and we have the kind of experiences that are so translatable elsewhere so hopefully i know a lot of people are hurting but like you said people are also being so innovative and you know um we're it it is a it's a good thing uh i think for our, our um for our industry to hear from people like you who are like you know this isn't the end of the road and you can do so many different things, you know? So I, I, I hope that that people a little bit of um, hope and a little bit of maybe a few ideas of what they could do um, if they are struggling out there. Um, and again, also reaching out to our to our members, reaching out on our Facebook page. It's a great way to, to get in touch with our um, membership. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know that a lot of people know this, but I know that a lot of people are struggling and they want to be a part of MPI, but then they're like, we can't pay the dues. If you reach out to MPI, there are scholarship, there are certain funds available to like either uh, take on the whole cost of the membership or um, you know reduce the cost of the membership. So please, if you're listening out there and you're wondering whether you want to renew your membership, this is it's reach out, reach out to MPI. They do have resources available. Absolutely uh, affected. Um, thank you so much for joining. This this interview was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank Jane. you for having me. Thank um, you for having me. Like seriously, it was it was great. I was happy. Hopefully, it's not too long, but it was a. Um, enjoyable opportunity to share a little bit more about me but also thank you for sharing with me about your journey and about your story so um some things i i didn't know there and good luck on the cm i knew you were taking the cmp good luck on it i'm sure you're gonna pass don't think too much about it just take practice practice questions seriously yep. practice <laughs> questions and you'll see those questions are gonna start looking like you're gonna be it's about building your confidence before any test. I will say that too for the bar exam. You know, for me, this last time, it was, I practiced so, so much. I did everything I could. And I'm sure, you know, I wasn't perfect on the exam, but I sure did pass. So I wish you so much luck on the CMP. I'm sure you're going to do a great job. And um, thank you to everybody at MPI Potomac Chapter. Thank you to the DNI. Uh, committee. Thank you to the Professional Development Committee. And thank you to anyone that's listening to this podcast. And, you know, reach out if you have any questions or just want to talk. I'm, I'm always uh, available. So thank you, Anjali.
Oh, you are so welcome. For those of you joining us today, remember that new episodes of MPI Potomac Cast will be released every other Wednesday on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and links will be posted to our Facebook group and the DEI page on our website. For more information about the MPI Potomac chapter, you can check out mpipotomac.org. We'd also love to hear your feedback. So use the hashtag MPI Potomac and engage with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Or join the MPI Potomac Facebook group and message us there. Let us know what topics you want to hear about, what members you'd like featured, and remember that since this is about hearing about the voices of MPI Potomac chapter, that this guest could even be you. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time on MPI Potomac Cast. Enjoy, and everybody be safe. <laughs>